Father, we pray that tonight that you would stir our hearts as we go through this chapter, chapter 7. And Lord, that we would learn these lessons that you have for us. And Father, so we open our ears and our hearts to you right now. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Chapter 7 starts with but. But. And of course, chapter 6, we saw that familiar chapter in the book of Joshua where the children of Israel were there um, marching around Jericho as they have crossed the Jordan River. They've made their camp. It's going to be their base of operation there at Gilgal. And now they are going to take the promised land. The Lord has already told them that you're going to possess the land that I've given to you. It's a done deal. But they had to go in and do the battle. They had to go in and face uh, the enemy. And so their first battle was going to go against Jericho. And Jericho was a walled city, had double walls, walls 30 feet high. And the Lord said, Joshua, this is what you're going to do. You and the man of war, the priest with the Ark of the Covenant, the priest with the ram's horn are going to march around the city for six days, march around the city once, and then go back to camp. Then on the seventh day, you're going to march around for seven days, or seven times, that is. And then the priests are going to blow the ram's horns. And when Joshua gives the word, the people are going to give a great shout, and the walls will come down. And we saw that's what happened. And so we talked about how uh, that application that we made throughout the chapter, and I hope that you took notes, and how it is that we can have the strongholds, that is, those barriers that we face in our lives, being torn down because our battles that we fight are spiritual battles and of course paul as he would write about spiritual warfare there in second corinthians chapter 10 he would say that you and i are to hold captive to every thought captive to the obedience of jesus christ in other words understand this that the bible is true and can i ask you again tonight do you really believe that one of the things that that we've been praying about with vacation bible school it's just that theme. It keeps kind of coming back to us as we're praying about it to make sure that the kids understand and may all of us understand that this book is true. This is God speaking to us from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. Now, it fascinates me that somebody can say, I just had a vision of God or God came and spoke to me last night in a vision and people will pour in to listen to whatever nonsense they might have. But this book is God-breathed, as Paul would write to Timothy. And it's profitable for instruction, for, for correction, for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness that every man may be equipped for every good work. And this is the Lord speaking to us, giving us the plan of salvation, revealing himself to us, showing us how it is that we can come again into that fullness of the blessings of the Lord and, and how we can experience that abundant life that he has for you and for me. And so first of all, we need to say, you know what? I believe that your word is true. Because what we see in the church today is many and even those who are teaching to doubt the word of God. Well, you know, maybe it's not all true. And many Christians are, are beginning to be confused about the inspiration, infallibility, the authority of the scriptures. And one of the things that I have settled in my heart is, Lord, this word that you've given to me from Genesis to Revelation is true. So I can take it and I can stand on your promises. I, I can grow in faith because faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans chapter 10. And as I grow in the word of God, I'm going to grow in the love and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And it is beneficial and profitable for doctrine, reproof, for instruction, 
for uh, all those things to equip me to live the life of the way that God wants me to live. And so as we hear the promises, we stand on them, as we hear the commandments, that, Lord, I hear your voice, and I know that your commandments are your enablements, and you can pull down those strongholds that have a grip on my heart or those barriers in my life that I face because I know that your word is true. And, Lord, I hold every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to make excuses or argue against it. It's a work of the Holy Spirit in my life. And, Lord, that you are able to do that work. And so we stand on the promises of God. We look to him to enable us to live the way that he desires for us to live. So chapter 6, the walls came tumbling down, and of course we saw how Rahab and her family was saved because of the scarlet thread that was outside of the window, and it symbolized the blood of Jesus, the scarlet thread. That beautiful picture of redemption that we have seen in chapters 2 and chapter 6 here. And then Joshua, you recall in verse 18, before the walls came down, he told the children of Israel, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things, and make the camp of Israel curse and trouble it. Now, I told you last week, remember that verse, because it's going to play a part in chapter 7. So, in other words, the spoils that they would take, the, the gold, the silver, the bronze vessels and stuff, that was to go to the Lord because the Lord told them on the east side of the Jordan River that the first fruits go to me. So the first battle, the first fruits of the spoils goes to the Lord for the treasury of the Lord. We're going to see in the battles ahead that they're going to take the spoils for themselves. But the spoils now for Jericho goes to the Lord. And any of the accursed things, any things that's associated with their false gods, false worship, the false idols are to be burned, done away with. Don't take those things. And if you do, the camp of Israel is going to be troubled. So chapter 7, but, and you know it's not starting out well, is it? After that great victory in chapter 6, but the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, and the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah took the accursed things, so the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. In verse 3, they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not worry all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, for they chased them from before the gates as far as Shebarim, and struck them down on the descent. Therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water. So all of a sudden, here they are. They have this great victory against Jericho. The walls come down just as the Lord said. And then all of a sudden, they're going to go against Ai. Now Ai means in Hebrews, means small. So this place is a lot smaller than Jericho was. And what we see is Joshua, you know, it says, you know what, we don't have to or, and, uh, to go up and, and um, as after the spies came back and spied it out and said, oh, it's a small place, no big deal, Joshua, you don't need to send all the men up. So Joshua said, okay, what we'll do is we'll just kind of send up two, 3,000 guys, we'll wipe it out, we'll mop it up, and they ended up being defeated. 
And of course, it goes back to what the Lord said in chapter 6, verse 18, that if you take of the accursed things, that the camp of Israel will be troubled. They don't know that right now. They don't know that. You know, God's word is true when it comes to his promises. Those promises that we have underlined in the Bible and we love to stand on and, and, and claim those promises, and that's good. But you need to understand this as well, that his warnings are true as well. I like what J. Vernon McGee says concerning this chapter. He says, sometimes the worst enemy that we have is ourselves. And that can be true. The enemy Satan will come against us. The world will come against us. But sometimes that we can be our own worst enemies when we walk in disobedience. And one of the things that this chapter is going to show us very clearly is that if we walk in disobedience, that we're not going to enter again into the fullness of the blessings that the Lord has for you and for me. And that disobedience will quench the work of the Spirit in our lives. So don't be disobedient. Don't get involved in sin. Don't be fleshly and expect God to bless that. He's not going to bless it. He's going to bless when we walk in obedience, when we have a heart for Him as we're walking after the Spirit. And this chapter is also going to show us how sin affects others. You see, there are people that will say to you and to me, well, okay, so um, you know what? I may be involved in the sin or whatever it might be, but it doesn't hurt anybody. Nobody knows about it. You know what? Sin hurts not only the individual, but it hurts the people around them in their lives. And we see it with people, don't we? We see it with their families. It, it it can happen and hurt a church, a ministry, when there is sin that takes place. So Joshua, there's sin in the camp that needs to be dealt with. And so we see that this was a small community, and they had, had victory. Joshua here, it's interesting to me, there's no record of him seeking the Lord, is there? Hey, you guys, go spy the land. They come back and they said, no big deal, AI, it's small. Just send a couple thousand guys. Okay, we'll go ahead and do that. And one of the things that you and I need to be careful of, and this can happen, and it does happen, and probably a lot of you have experienced it in your own lives, that after we can have a great victory spiritually, we can become complacent and drop our guard, and we're not seeking the Lord after that. And perhaps that's what happened with Joshua. This great victory, man, we defeated Jericho. Nothing's going to stop us now. And he wasn't seeking the Lord. And I believe that if he would have sought the Lord, that the Lord would have said, Joshua, don't send anybody up there to Ai because there's sin in the camp and you're going to be defeated and you need to deal with this sin. So we need to be careful that we don't become complacent and drop prayer and studying the Word of God after we've had great victory in the Spirit. You continue to search the Lord and read your Bibles and, and to continue to grow in the Lord. But don't grow sleepy and complacent. And I think that's a little bit what I was trying to explain to, to us as we opened up tonight, that I don't want to get complacent. Don't us get complacent. And it's very easy for us to do that. And, and Joshua here, he's not seeking the Lord, and he sends them all up, and all of a sudden, they become defeated. 36 men died, and the people's hearts melted. And you see, that will happen if we live after the flesh and walk after the flesh, we're just going to be defeated. And I know that it's a struggle out there at times. That we have our weaknesses and frailties and 
It, and it is frustrating at times, isn't it? And it seems like you have victory and then all of a sudden defeat. And I just want to say to you that in our Christian journey, we will all experience that, won't we? I'm probably safe to say, if not all of us, most of us, we have those times of victory and then we have just those moments of defeat and our, our hearts begin to melt. And we get discouraged and we get down. But I want you to remember that the Lord doesn't just leave us there. And he didn't leave Joshua and the children of Israel there in that state. That he desires for us to turn to him and trust in him. And to, to continue on with him. And allow him to deal with that sin and that struggle and that weakness as we continue doing battle. So here we see that Joshua, he, he doesn't know what's going on, so he's going to, verse 6, tore his clothes, fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening, he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over to Jordan at all, to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Oh, that we've been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off your name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? And so Joshua, he falls to the earth. He's throwing dust on his head. It's a sign of, of mourning, of seeking the Lord here. And, and all of a sudden he's saying, what is going to happen? Lord, we're done for we've had it. Why did you bring us into the land? Just to be defeated? And what am I going to say to the nation? What will you do concerning your great name, Lord? Now Joshua is dangerously getting close to what the children of Israel were saying in the wilderness. You know what? The Lord brought us out here in the wilderness just to kill us. And, and at that time, it could have led to unbelief and disobedience as the children of Israel would continue in that. We want to go back to Egypt. So here's Joshua. You know, what am I going to tell the people? And our enemies are going to defeat us. And he'd already forgotten about the faithfulness of God. Now, there's a couple things that, that we need to remember. And that is God's word is true. And so here's Joshua. He, he's got doubt and he's got, you know, weakness and he's upset and all of that. One of the things that this shows me that even the great men of faith can falter in their faith and show weakness. And that's what jo Joshua is experiencing and we can experience in our own lives. But there's an important thing that we need to see as we continue on as Joshua is there before the Lord on his face in verse 10. So the Lord said to Joshua, Get up, why do you lie thus on your face? Time to get up, Joshua. Why do you lie thus on your face? A couple things that I want to pass along here. Not only do great men of faith have lapses of faith, and we can too, but we're not to stay there. Second of all, he's talking about God's unfaithfulness. God, you're, we're going to be defeated. What are you going to do about your name? And we need to remember that God is always faithful, and he is faithful even when we are unfaithful, as Paul would write to Timothy. In other words, 
God is the one that's always going to be faithful to bring his word to pass. And he's doing it here. He told them, stay away from the accursed things. And they didn't, and so they're sin in the camp, and now they're being defeated. Joshua doesn't know this at this time, but there are times in our own lives where we go through difficulties and we go through challenges and it seems like we're going through setbacks and we're crying, Lord, why? Why is this happening? Never forget that when you are confronted in those times where you don't understand what's going on, to fall back on the faithfulness of the Lord and that His Word is true for you, okay? That He hasn't abandoned His Word. He hasn't abandoned His promises. That He'll stay true to it. And it should cause us to be in a place where we're trusting in the Lord, searching the Lord. Lord, is there anything that's taken place in my life that needs to be corrected? Lord, are you doing a work where you're wanting me to go to another direction? We can talk about storms and things and how God allows storms to come into our lives. We don't have time to do that tonight, but sometimes it's you know correction that's needed. Sometimes the Lord wants to change direction for us. Paul the Apostle experienced that when he was going from Caesarea to Rome on a boat and all of a sudden they encountered a storm because the Lord said, you know what, Paul, I got some ministry for you to do. I want you to go to an island. Remember Acts chapters 27 and 28? And I got a group of people I want you to minister to, so I'm going to allow this ship to go through a storm so it breaks up and you get washed up on that island. Sometimes the Lord allows those things so we can learn to trust in Him and then rest in Him. And, and so His Word is always true. He is faithful, even though we may not understand what it is that He's doing at the time. And then thirdly, I think that as, as we look at this, don't go back to the east side of the Jordan. That's what Joshua wanted to do. Oh, if we just would have been complacent on the east side, if we would have just stayed there. The children of Israel in the wilderness, oh, if we just go back to Egypt. That's not the answer. The answer is to be where you're at, in a place where God has you, but not to retreat. And sometimes when we experience difficulties, and that can take place in a lot of different ways in our lives, Maybe we feel defeated as, oh, I just fail as a man of God in this area, fail as a woman of God, I, I fail as a husband, a wife, a father, a mother, a minister. I just feel weakness area, and we just want to kind of retreat. Because the enemy keeps attacking, or we feel weak, or we don't know what's going on, things like that. Just stay put. Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward, trusting the Lord. But don't go back. Don't go back to where, well, I'm not going to go to church anymore. Well, I'm not going to pray with my wife anymore. I'm not going to do those things that I know that I should be doing. And that can happen so easily. Oh, if I just go back to the east side of the Jordan, just stay there, it's comfortable, no more fighting, no more battle. I'm not going to try to witness to the guys at work. They'll just leave me alone if I just kind of retreat. You see what I mean? So there's... there's it can happen in different ways where we retreat back to where we're just comfortable rather than being committed. So Joshua here, he, he's praying this prayer, and, and then in verse 10, the Lord says, Joshua, get up. 
Why do you lie thus on your face? You don't want to stay there. Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things, and have both stolen and deceived, and they have also put it among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turn their backs before their enemies, because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore, unless you destroy the accursed from among you. There is sin in the camp, Joshua. Joshua, get up. There have been times where the Lord has said this to me. Jeff, you need to get up, all right? As I'm sitting there going, Lord, I don't understand, and everything's falling apart, and the ministry, and get up. Are you going to pastor this church or not? And we can go through those times. Elijah did great man of faith called down fire from heaven. And again, it can happen after a great victory. He called down fire from heaven, consumed the sacrifice, the wood of the sacrifice on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings chapter 6. And then all of a sudden he gets word that the king's wife wants to kill him. And so he becomes depressed. He, he freaks out and he takes off and he's down in the desert and he says, God, just kill me. And then he ends up in a cave in the mountain of God. And the Lord spoke to Elijah and said, Elijah, what are you doing here in this cave? Elijah, why are you here? Well, I'm the only one that's left in Israel ministering. Everybody's forsaken you. No, uh-uh. I got 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. And so, Elijah, you need to get up and you need to go back. And I got some things for you to do. I hope that we encourage one another when we get discouraged. And very lovingly and very gently, there are times where we can say, you know what, the Lord desires for you to get up. Keep moving forward. The Lord loves you and He wants to work through you. and Keep encouraging each other with those promises that we have for one another. The Lord's not through with you. The Lord wants to work through you. So Joshua, there's sin in the camp. You need, you need to, to deal with it. But there is something here, again, that we need to learn. There will be no victory unless sin is dealt with in our lives. If you've got sin in your life, if you're messing around with sin, if you're messing around with the pleasures of the world, if you're compromising, you are not going to experience that victory. The victory, again, of the abundant life that God has for you and for me. So don't expect God to bless sin or if you're compromising or if you're pursuing the pleasures of the world or whatever it might be. And it's a loving Father that says, surrender to me because I'll do more with your life, more than you could ever possibly do on your own. And we have the promise of God will do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. The Lord, by His grace and by His mercy and His goodness, has done more in my life than I know He has, than I could ever do on my own. And it's been a wonderful venture of faith. But you know what? The Lord's not done with me yet. He still wants to continue to work. And it's the same with you. It just takes hearts that say, Lord, I give my life to you, and whatever you want to do, wherever you want to lead me, and it may not be glamorous to the world, but it brings glory to the Lord in what He wants to do in your life. 
And so we see here that here's Joshua. He's getting word that there's sin in the camp. You need to deal with it. Verse 13, get up, sanctify the people, and say, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. Because thus says the Lord God of Israel, there's an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed things from among you. So, verse 14, the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe that the Lord takes shall come according to the families, and the families which the Lord takes shall come by the households, and the household that the Lord takes shall come man by man. And then it shall be that he who is taken with the accursed thing shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel." So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. He brought the clan of Judah, and he took the family of Zarhites, and he brought the family of the Zarhites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. Verse 18, then he brought the household man by man, and Achan the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, and the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah was taken. Can you imagine there's Achan, you know, Joshua blows the trumpet. Hey, tribe of Judah, come forward. Oh, I wonder what he wants with us, you know. And all of a sudden, here is his family, his grandfather's family, the Zarites that are called. And then all of a sudden, Zabai, his family is called. And Achan's probably thinking, uh-oh. And all of a sudden, you step forward, Achan. Do not be deceived in thinking that when you're involved with sin that no one's going to see it because God sees it. And everything is open and naked before the Lord. And here's Achan. I wonder how he felt like, uh-oh, ooh. And he hears his name being called out. God sees our hearts and he sees what it is that we do. And as we continue here, we see that Joshua said to Achan, My son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel. Make confession to him and tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver, and the wedge of a gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them, and there they are hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it couple things here concerning these verses here. You, as Achan here came and confessed, I, I stole this Babylonian garment, some shekels of silver and, and gold, and I hid them in the earth. Think about this, folks. People get involved in sin, the pleasures of the world, get involved in relationships that aren't right, you know, adulterous relationships. And, and they think, oh, I'm so happy, it's so pleasurable. If it's, you know, this feels so right. If it's so right, why do you have to hide it? People will steal stuff or be dishonest or whatever sin it might be. Why do you have to hide it? That should tell you something right there that it's wrong. And here's Achan, he hides his Babylonian garment in the silver and gold, and he hides it. He never had opportunity even to enjoy it. If you think that you're going to be able to enjoy sin, you're deceived. But notice the progression here. He said, I saw it, I coveted it, verse 21, and then I took them. He said, I saw it, I coveted it, and I took them. 
John in his epistle would say, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Those three areas will get us into trouble and lead us into sin. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. You see, that's what happened to Eve. Remember the serpent there in Genesis chapter 3? The serpent comes to Eve and says, Eve, did God really say that you shouldn't eat of that tree, the fruit there? Did he really say that? But see, if you eat of that tree, then you'll become like God. That's the pride of life. So it says in Genesis chapter 3 that Eve, that she looked at the tree and saw that the fruit was good to eat. That's the lust of the flesh. And that the fruit looked pleasant. That's the lust of the eyes. And she sinned. Watch out for those three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, I coveted. The lust of the eyes, I saw it. And the pride of life, I took it. I took it so I can be rich. It's not of the Father, but of the world. James says in chapter 1, he says, but each one is tested when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it brings forth death. We can be drawn away by our own desires, enticed, and then when that is conceived, it will give birth to sin, and then sin eventually leads to death. It just leads to death. We know the wages of sin is death. For the Christian, you and I, whose sins are forgiven, it will just lead to death spiritually. Your life will just smell of death if you keep getting enticed into the things of the world. So I saw and I coveted and I took them. So Joshua sent messengers, verse 22, ran to the tent, and there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver under it. And I took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garments, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his sheep, his um, uh, tent and all that he had and they brought them to the valley of Achar and Joshua said why have you troubled us the Lord will trouble you this day so all Israel stoned him with stones and they burned them with the fire after they had stoned them with stones so they raised over him a great heap of stones still there to this day so the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger and therefore the name of that place has been called the valley of Achar to this day do you know that Achan means trouble And he brought trouble not only to himself, but he brought trouble to his family. He brought trouble to the whole camp of Israel. Now, there's debate here whether that it was just Achan that was stoned or his whole family. It says here, as we read it, that it was Achan. uh, um, uh, As we look at this, um, Israel stoned him in verse 25 with stones. And then they raised over him a great heap of stones. Um, we know in verse 25 they burned them. The question is, what is them? And the reason that there's debate, there's two camps, and, and you can kind of study and come up with your own conclusion is, remember in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 24, that there in Deuteronomy chapter 24, one of the last things that Moses said concerning the law of the children of Israel, he said, the fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor children be put to death for their fathers. A person shall be put to death for their own sin. So some believe that if the family was, if that's them that was burned, them could refer to 
the accursed things that they were to burn, the animals that he had burned. If the family was burned, they were accomplices. They were a part of this sin. But again, there's debate on this. If it was just Achan that was sin. Ezekiel 18.20 says, The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. But the righteous of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. You're responsible for your own sin. So the debate goes on, and you can kind of sort it out if the family was, and most indicate that it was, that they were part of this sin. But we do know this. You see, when you sin, it's just not about you. It's not about you. And as I mentioned to you, we've had people that will say that, you know what, nobody knows, nobody sees, nobody's getting hurt, baloney. That is such deception. And when you sin, it affects not only you, but a whole lot of people around you. Mom and dads, when we sin, it affects our children. That when we sin against family, against others, it affects them. If I get involved in sin, not only does it affect my family, it affects this church family. It's not just about us. And it brings hurt to a whole lot of people. And we see it in the lives of people, don't we? We see somebody, uh, children, rebelling against parents and against the rest of their family and the turmoil that it can bring to the family. Or the parents, or when there's problems in the marriage, or when there's whatever it might be. When you go after sin... And you make a decision, well, I'm going to go out and sell drugs, and then all of a sudden dad's in jail. You don't think that doesn't affect the wife and the kids that are depending on him? Or I'm going to get involved in a relationship with the gal at work and how it destroys families and fractures families and tears them apart. Oh, I'm going to be dishonest in the business dealing and all of a sudden you get caught and you lose your business and your reputation. Whatever it might be. So remember this. That sin not only affects you, but affects a whole lot of people. In this case, it affected the whole camp of Israel. Three million people. So don't be deceived into thinking no one's going to find out, nobody sees not going to hurt anybody. That's all lies from the enemy. And there's one thing that I pray that we get tonight, and that is stay away from sin because it's just bad news. And it brings hurt, not only to you, but to people that love you and care about you. Jesus has freed us from all that. And he desires for us to walk in that obedience so we can be free to live for him and enjoy the fullness of his blessing that it has for you and for me. And as we come to the communion table tonight, I hope that as you open up your heart to the Lord, that if there's anything that you need to confess, confess it to the loving Father and say, Father, I've been messing around with this or entertaining that or whatever it might be. I want to turn away from it right now. Lord, I confess it. I repent. I give it to you.
And Lord, keep me to that place where I'm just submitted to you because Jesus died for me. And he didn't die for me and save me and forgive me so I can live after the world and live in sin so I can live for him and honor him with my life. That's what I hope that our prayer is tonight. And so, Father, we thank you for this powerful lesson in, in chapter 7. And, Father, what sin can do and the hurt that it brings and death that it brings and destruction and consequences to not only us, to, to the people that we love. And so, Father, I pray that tonight that we would understand that you desire for us to be free to live for you. We're free from not only the penalty of sin, but the power of sin and the bondage of sin in our lives. And Lord, we, we know that we can experience struggles and, and we have weaknesses. That's why we need you, because we can't do it on our own. So Lord, I pray that in our struggles and weaknesses that we wouldn't retreat, we wouldn't give up, but we keep pressing on forward. And just as it took a long time for Joshua and the children of Israel to claim victory and driving out the inhabitants, we know that that work continues in us because the flesh will, will rear its ugly head and the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So Lord, how we need to surrender completely to you. I pray for us tonight that if there's anything that you've been dealing with us, that right now that we would confess and say, Lord, I come to you tonight and I admit and I confess these things and Lord, I repent and I turn away because I know that sin and even entertaining the, the pleasures of the world and being enticed by those things, that sin is conceived. 